You have to raise your hand if this is true of you. Have you ever um, been on a team, a sports team, or worked in an office, or been in part of any other group where you experienced office politics? Anyone ever? The only hands I did not see were the hands of children. Every single one of us had our hand up. Why? Well, obviously, because it is an extremely common experience. What is it? Office politics is, by definition, social relations involving intrigue to gain authority or power. And uh, people who define these things, psychologists, say there's two kinds. There's dark politics and there's light politics. Dark politics is where people play these kinds of games for their own personal advantage. And light politics is when people do the same thing. They play these games, but for the benefit of the company or the team. So they categorize them as different. It involves the following, and I think you've all experienced them. Gossip. Anyone ever heard that? Manipulation, cronyism, backstabbing, one-upmanship, bullying, um, sucking up, clicks, alliances, lobbying, blame-shifting, controlling, deceit, false accusations, ignoring, which today is called canceling. All of those are part of office politics, and almost every one of us have experienced them. In fact, you can't get beyond childhood and not experience politics. In fact, if you children think about it, you've had it too, because it happens in schools all the time. Now, sadly, in the world in which we live, promotions and uh, positions often go to the people who are best equipped to play the game of politics. How do we know? Well, one of the most famous TV programs for many, many years now is called Survivor. What's the point of Survivor? It comes with the whole, the whole logo. Three things. Outwit, outplay, outlast. Who wins? The people who are the most deceitful, the most manipulative, the ones who are able to, 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 to use other people for their own advantage, what do they win? A million dollars. It's quite a handsome prize. Someone wrote this. By the way, the someone is Harvard Business Review. Very reputable. Here's what it says. Organizational politics are inescapable. A few years ago, I was sharing this reality with a group of young managers. One of the delegates was visibly concerned by what I was saying. And so I asked him to share what he was thinking. Here's what he said. I'm really struggling to accept that there is never going to be a place where I'm going to have to deal with politics. Sure, there has to be somewhere. Like where, I asked. Well, what about NGOs or a church? You know, places where people work for the greater good of the world. Surely, there are no politics there. I suppressed a laugh. And by way of an answer, I told him the story of a friend of mine who had been a church minister. This is in the Harvard Review, Business Review. After having led a congregation for about 10 years, she decided to get into business. The one thing that really concerned her in making the transition was the dreaded corporate politics that colleagues warned her about and that friends in business repeatedly complained about. Undeterred, but still quite nervous, 
She made the leap into a big auditing firm, and after a few months, I couldn't wait to ask her how it was going. I'm loving it, she told me over coffee. What about the politics? Are you coping, I asked her. Politics? Are you kidding me? Corporate politics are nothing compared to church politics. I would submit to you that the worst place on the planet for politics is a church. Why? Because all we have are people. And when you have people, you have politics. So probably the worst place on the planet is churches like us. Politics is a fact of life. And in many ways, it's worse in a church. That's not good. Now, today we're going to see probably the best example, maybe the second best example in the entire Bible of someone who faced office politics. He faced it in the most horrific way you can imagine, and every facet of what happens we're going to see happen in the Bible. Then we're going to see how he deals with office politics in a way that is so exemplary that it's stunning. But he, does, he has to pay a price. And then we're going to see what happens at the end and what God does with it. So today, I invite you to what is known as probably the most, one of the most, the best known passages in the entire Bible, Daniel chapter 6, which we know as Daniel in the lion's den. So if you have a Bible, uh, chapter 6 of Daniel is our, is our text. And the title today, I called it Taming Lions. And we're going to face lions no matter who you are or where you go. You'll face them on sports teams. You'll face them in every work setting you've ever faced. And you'll even face them in the church. Wonder of wonders. Someone, I found, did a sermon on Daniel 6. And this is what they titled it. When your boss is a jerk and your company is corrupt. What do you do when your boss is a jerk and your company is corrupt? And by the way, has anyone had a jerk for a boss? Oh, yeah. Um, almost all of us have had jerks for bosses. And have ever been in a corrupt company? Yes, of course, of course. Really corrupt companies. So what do you do when your boss is a jerk and your company is corrupt? Well, we're going to see somebody who saw with his real life some of the worst bosses you could ever imagine, though he was a boss himself. And his company was completely corrupt. Daniel chapter 6. Now, um, interestingly, two of the main, probably the two main chapters in the whole Bible on the topic of what's called civil disobedience are found in Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6. What do you do as a person, as a Christian, when you are in a company or a country that demands that you do something that God forbids, that's chapter 3, or forbids you from doing something that God commands, that's chapter 6. We're going, we saw, of course, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3, and now we see Daniel in the lion's den in chapter 6. The first thing that we're going to see in the first nine verses of this chapter is we're going to see the painful reality of dark politics. We're going to see how it all happens and what happens is absolutely classic. And if it hasn't happened to you, let me promise you, it will. With extraordinary clarity, we see the evil of dark politics right in front of our eyes. Here's what the Bible says. It pleased Darius 
to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So it begins with Daniel's rise in the administration of a new kingdom. Remember what happened. Daniel, by the way, we know not only, we know the exact date when this happens. Remember, I said over and over again, most of the Bible is history. And history has dates. History has geography. History has real people. We know the exact year when this happened. It's very clear. It's 539 B.C. The Babylonian Empire, in one day, one day, it fell to the Medes and Persians. The great Persian king was a man by the name of Cyrus the Great. The Mede leader probably was a man named Darius. And so Darius was the one responsible for the oversight of Babylon, the great city that they had just conquered. And Cyrus was the bigwig king over the rest of the realm. And so now you have 539 BC. We know the exact date when this event takes place. And Daniel is 81 years old. Now, most of the time when you think of Daniel in the lion's den, you think of this young strapping man, muscular, who's able to take on those, those uh, lions. He is not. He's an elderly man who had served as a bureaucrat in the government of the Babylonians and now in the Medes and Persians for over 60 years. He had probably been called out of retirement. Why? It tells us why. The guy is a goat. He is the greatest of all time. This is the greatest government bureaucrat that has ever existed in human history, bar none, easily. And so he's called out of retirement at 81 years of age by the great kings to be a leader of the Medo-Persian Empire, one of the largest and most important empires in the history of the world. Now, Darius's plan was this. He was going to decentralize his government. So he divided his entire realm into 120 governorships or provinces over which he put a leader called a satrap. But because no one can manage 120 leader governors like that, he decided he would put three people over those 120 and then one of them would be the prime minister. And who is that prime minister? The old goat. Greatest of all time, Daniel. Why? Well, because he had distinguished himself. He had exceptional qualities, exceptional qualities for multiple kings and two entirely different kingdoms. That's how exceptional he was. And so the king planned to put Daniel over the entire realm as his prime minister. Amazing. What was his plan? Well, his plan was to make sure that the government ran efficiently, that the finances of the king were in order, because as you know, once you get into power and you have access to money, many people steal. And the main job of Daniel was to make sure that the king was not defrauded financially and that people in the realm were well cared for. That was his job a very, very important job. 
And Daniel was the one who had who was picked for that. Now, you might think, if you were a leader and you had this person that's 81 years of age and you know his history, you know the background, you know what this person has done. You know how this very person was the prime minister for Nebuchadnezzar, one of the greatest leaders that's ever existed in human history. How probably when Nebuchadnezzar was eating grass like a cow, Daniel was probably running the kingdom, an enormous and very important kingdom. How this Daniel had served king after king, and now empire after empire. He was so exceptional in his abilities. He was completely competent. He was efficient. His integrity was as high as could be. And when you put a person like that into the prime ministership, of course, everyone is happy. No, no. No, they're not. You put someone like that in a high position, everyone is not happy. In fact, when you do that, you're likely to find many, many people very, very upset. And here's what the Bible says in verse 4. At this, that is, the news leak came out. Daniel is going to be promoted to the prime ministership. At this, The administrators, remember there are two of them besides Daniel, and the satraps, remember, 120 of them, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now they decide they don't like this Daniel, and so they're going to they're gonna find fault with him. So how do they do it? Well, the first thing, of course, you do is you've you got to find some dirt. And so they assembled. Uh, you know how this happens. It doesn't, there's not one person. It's the water cooler. You go to the water cooler and say, you know, that boss is a jerk. How do we get rid of him? How do we go around him? He's, but this time, the boss is a jerk because he's so good. Now, I don't know if you've been on a job. I remember one job I was on. I was, I was just in my, uh, my 20s, and it was a, 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 a housing pro- townhouse project in Houston, Texas. And I remember showing up there. I was just like a, a punch-out person, they called me. And I remember the first day there, uh, I think work ended at, at 4 o'clock. And at, at, 4, at 4.30, rather, we finished. At 3.50... Um, everyone said, okay, get your tools together. It's 40 minutes. Say, yeah, that's what we do here. And then by 4.10, 4.10 meant 4.30. So everyone left. And I thought, what? And by the way, I got this job because one of my friends was the boss. And everyone was cutting out a half hour early, basically every day. And so I said, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. My, I know the boss. And he's losing enormous amount of money. So I, they said, get your tools together at 350. I said, no, what? And of course they loved me. <laughs> no, why don't they? Well, if you, if you follow the, the, the time schedule you're supposed to have and they don't, what does that make them look like? Like dogs. And so they could not tolerate that. And so They had a secret meeting there for Daniel, and they conducted a strategy. First of all, they decided they were going to malevolently scrutinize his life. Okay, let's check his track record. 
What was he like with finances? Can someone get into his financial records? Yeah, I can do it. Check it out. Then they said, um, what about, does he have any, um, look at his work records, all the, those notes everyone took. Can they find anything wrong with the guy? What about his, his efficiency? What about his finances? What about his character? What about his integrity? And they couldn't find anything. There was nothing amiss. There was no corruption. He was entirely trustworthy. His track record was without negligence, which made everyone happy. No. It made everyone furious to get rid of him. What do we do? They thought, here, this is Proverbs chapter 29, verses 10 and 27. Bloodthirsty men hate a man of integrity and seek to kill the upright. The righteous detest the dishonest, but the wicked detest the upright. That's, that's called the real world. You see, in the real world, people don't generally, there's exceptions, of course, people don't generally love those who work with great integrity because it makes them look bad. And so they decided, of course, they're going to have to get rid of Daniel. But they said, we cannot do it based on his competency. We cannot do it based on his efficiency. We cannot do it based on his character. We cannot do it based on his integrity. What do we do? The guy's a religious nut. Let's get him there. So they concocted a plan. Here it goes. This is verse 6. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. Yeah, right. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed. By the way, where's Daniel, by the way, in that list? He's one of them. We've, they've all, we've all agreed. That's a big fat lie. We've all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So here's their plan. It's a masterpiece of political deception. It all began with group pressure. They got together as a group, and then with the group pressure, what do they do? They use flattery, because deception, it's actually massive disrespect clothed in flattery. Oh, king, may you live forever. You're so wonderful. We love you so much. But it's a big bunch of baloney. It's a blatant falsehood. And by the way, Daniel wasn't included. Remember it happened in the New Testament to Jesus? Remember when Jesus was, was arrested and tried in the middle of the night, the Sanhedrin, 70 people, the Supreme Court of the Jewish people was called together to decide on Jesus' fate. And guess who they conveniently didn't invite to the meeting? Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, who were on the Sanhedrin, but just conveniently they were tired that night. They needed some sleep. That's the same thing they did here. Those who didn't agree with their plot, of course, they eliminated them. And of course, the main person they eliminated was Daniel. But they said, oh, we've all agreed, O king, which was nonsense. And so how did they pull this off? They appealed to the king's vanity and probably his insecurity. He's a new king. And after all, they're trying to aggrandize him, make him look good. And so the king goes, well, 
Sounds like a good deal to me. They, but they, of course, had a hidden agenda. And what did they do with their hidden agenda? They, they, they twisted the law. They used the law in a bad way to do a nefarious act. That's what they did. A perfect political storm. Power, position, authority, money, selfish motivation, professional jealousy, racism, office rumors, news leak. And you've got a political nightmare in the making. Because Daniel had a big target on his back. Here's a principle. In a real world, in a real world of fallen people, and that includes, by the way, all of us, jealousy, self-seeking, power-grabbing, hostility, and hatred will inevitably arise, and good people will often be the object of this hatred. Often. That's called real life. Now, why did they hate him so much? Well, one, he's past his prime. Come on. Guy's always an old goat. It's time for some new blood. And by the way, Daniel is the consummate outsider. He's not Persian. He's not Mede. He's not Babylonian. He's Jewish. One of the vanquished people. He's an exile. He's a foreigner. He's an outsider. And probably there's a bit of race thrown in there. Anti-Semitism, we would call it today. Besides, they despised having this outsider having authority over them because they were accustomed to autonomy. They, they were resistant to people being over them because these are the successful people. These are the people who are rising up the ranks. They don't like one of them put over them. Besides, there was professional jealousy. A Danish proverb says, if envy were a fever, all the world would be ill. Shakespeare said, envy is the green sickness. And Philip Bailey said, an English poet, envy is a coal that comes hissing hot from hell. A coal that comes hissing hot from hell. And now that hot coal is ready to burn. Besides, the most important factor for their hatred isn't mentioned, but it's crystal clear. The most important reason why they hated Daniel was because of God. And Jesus, actually, though Jesus wasn't to come for many hundreds of years. Because there's one who hates God's people, called Satan. The Bible calls him the prince of this world. And whether these satraps and these administrators knew it, they were being played by the prince of this world to create the perfect storm to get rid of one of God's chosen people because Satan has a special hatred for the Jewish people and for us if we're followers of Jesus. One of the verses that I cannot believe is in the Bible, I've never preached on it, and I've never heard anyone else preach on it in all my life. I think we just skip it. It's, called, it's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. Here's the context. Paul is writing to the Philippian people who he loves. This is, this is the church that he loves these people. And remember, the book of Philippians is the most upbeat of all Paul's letters, full of joy. And Paul says this, I want to send Timothy to you. Timothy was Paul's understudy, you could say. I want to send Timothy to you. And then Paul says, because I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares for your welfare. Now, Paul could have stopped right there, but he didn't. Here's the next verse. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not the interests of Christ. He said that. When did you last hear a sermon on that? 
By the way, who's he talking about? He's talking about leaders, Christian leaders. He says, come on, let's be honest, folks. Everyone looks out for number one. And who's number one? Me, of course. That's why back to the Harvard Business Review, politics in the church? Of course you got politics in the church. Why? Paul told us. Timothy looks out for the interests of Jesus Christ. But everyone looks out for their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. That's why we have politics. And that's, that's among Christians. What is it like among those who do not claim Christ? You see, goodness commonly arouses evil. Why? We don't like to be exposed. None of us do. And we do not like people to be raised above us. One of the verses I would like to add to Scripture, and God might even allow me to do it. I don't know. But it says, I would say this. Though, we, though it's easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's not in the Bible. I made it up. But I think it's true. When someone's hurting, we, our hearts are tender. But when someone is promoted, especially above us, something kicks in in the human heart. We don't like that. It says in Proverbs, the great test of a human heart is how do you handle praise? Yeah, you got the right one, baby. Uh-huh. Is that what we say? Or do we realize all good gifts come from God? It's not us. It's ultimately his goodness and his grace. But Daniel arose. Oh, incredible hatred. So now the law is passed. Can't be changed. What is Daniel going to do? Here's verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room and he closed the curtains and he hid where no one could see him and he did not get down on his knees. Instead, he walked around the kitchen as if he was doing nothing when in fact he was actually praying. Did I not read that correctly? I would have done that, wouldn't you? I mean, come on. I mean, honestly, I, I, know, I, would, I know what I'd have done. I'd have closed the curtains. I'd have still prayed probably, but I just, you know, close the curtains. What can go wrong with doing that? He could have found a less conspicuous place to pray. He could have um, uh, just prayed in secret. He could have just prayed. You don't have to use words. You can pray in your mind to God. He could have, he could have closed the shades. Is that what he did? He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to God, to his God, just as he had done before. Changed nothing. Maybe he said, hey, I'm 81. I'm go I want to go home. I don't know what he said. But Daniel had developed ha holy habits in his life. He says, I don't care what they do to me. I'm not going to dishonor my father in heaven. I will not do it. Wow. Unflinching obedience to God. And so what did the tattletales do? Well, we know what they did. Then these men went as a group, strength in numbers, evil strength. They went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. So the first thing they do now, they're still manipulating the king. The first thing they do is they say, oh, king, uh, didn't you pass that law about prayer? They don't bring up Daniel yet. 
Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? So they start by handcuffing the king. Major manipulation. The king answered, the creed stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Ah, Daniel, who is one of those Jews, pays no attention to you. That's baloney. That's a blatant lie. Daniel was extremely submissive to the king. Pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Probably called in a team of lawyers to see if there's any way he could change the law. Then these men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. Bunch of tattletales, but they had him. And so he had been snookered, and he knew it. And by the way, you know, he, he's caught. He made a law that when they had a law among the Medes and Persians to prevent a king from making a frivolous law. You knew that if you made a law, you couldn't change it. So they had to think about it. They manipulated him into making this frivolous law, and now they're using that as a, as a bat over his head. Now, the king knows he's being snookered at this point, and he's really angry, but he can't do anything about it. And besides, he's a vassal king. The big wig is Cyrus. He doesn't want to anger Cyrus. He doesn't want to set off all these uh, administrators, these satraps, all the governors. He's caught. So what's he going to do? He's got to follow through with it. And so, so the king gave the order, verse 16. They brought Daniel threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. What did Daniel do? When Daniel found out what was happening, he gathered the facts. He, he heard what the king had decided, even though it probably ticked him off. He refused to hide. He continued his custom. He stuck to his convictions. He defied the law. He got caught red-handed. He accepted the consequences. That's what he did. Well, what do you do? Um, I have been, and I'm sure all of us have been the victims of office politics, dark politics. What do you do? Well, if we went to um, the Bible, the Bible would say, conduct your life above reproach. That's the place you start. But if you think that's going to get you out of, out of trouble, you're really an idiot because it will not. And then the Bible says, live your life as if you are salt and light. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. And the Bible tells us in Matthew, Jesus said, don't respond in kind. Because our tendency is if we're the victims of offense politics is to get back some other way. Maybe use manipulation against the people who are against you. But the Bible says, don't respond in kind. Instead, trust God's justice. 
These are the words of Jesus, or the words of Paul, rather, Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't compromise your standards in order to fit in or be part of the in crowd. That's what the Bible says. There's a very famous man in early church history. His name is Polycarp. He was the bishop of Smyrna. That's in present-day Turkey. He was an old man who had been faithful serving God underground because this is when Christianity was illegal. And he got caught. And as they sentenced him to die, they said, come on, old goat. <laughs> old man, we don't want to kill you. You're in your 80s. Just just declare that, you're, that Caesar is Lord and we'll let you off because we don't want to kill an old man. And his exact words are these. Eighty and six years I have served him and he never did me any injury. How can I then blaspheme my king and my savior? And what did they do? They burned him at the stake. Well, you know how it ends. In this case, Daniel doesn't get burned at the stake. He's saved in the lion's den. Here's how it ends, verse 19 and following. At the first light of dawn, so the king isn't sleeping, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Can you catch the heart of the king? It's amazing here. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, oh, may the king live forever. Can you imagine what the king thought at that point? Ah, ah, he's alive. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. That was the local law at the time. Two laws are at stake here. Number one, if you falsely accuse somebody, the punishment that they would have gotten, you get in turn. But secondly, if in fact you're found of a crime this egregious, it's not just going to affect you. It affects your whole family. That was the law of the Persians at the time. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Wow. This is Proverbs 11.3. 3. 
The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. What goes around comes around. Be sure your sin will find you out. Eventually, justice will be served, even though it might take some time, because integrity ultimately wins. So what do we gain from this? What do we, can we take home from this today? Number one, dark office politics is inevitable, and the Bible says it will be heightened if you are a faithful Christian. If you are a faithful Christian, office politics will be worse for you, not better. Not in every case, but in most cases. Why? Four reasons why. All from God's word. One, because light exposes darkness and darkness hates to be exposed. These are the words of Jesus. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. That's one reason. The second one is goodness arouses jealousy. This is the writing of Matthew about the crucifixion of Jesus. For Pilate knew that it was out of envy that the Sanhedrin had handed Jesus over to them. Goodness arouses jealousy. Thirdly, Christ-likeness evokes hatred. Where do I get that from? Duh. Jesus. His words. All men will hate you because of me. This is John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And godliness stimulates persecution. This is 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's why. Dark office politics is inevitable, and I suspect it will be heightened for faithful Christians. And so the first thing is, if it happens to you, and if you do live faithful for Christ, it will happen to you. Don't be surprised. It goes with the territory. Secondly, it's amazing how close the parallel is between Jesus and Daniel. Have you noticed? Both Jesus and Daniel were of the house of Judah. Both are of the family of David. Both Jesus and, and, um, and Daniel were, were severely tempted by the devil, but they came through beautifully. Both Jesus and Daniel, Jesus perfectly righteous, but Daniel left an incredibly righteous one. We're going to come to in the next weeks, Lord willing, several verses that say Daniel was highly esteemed by God. You have two extremely righteous people. Both of them were hated for their goodness. Jesus said these words, they hated me without reason. There was no reason for the hatred. Both of them aroused jealousy and envy by their accusers. The, and both of them used the legal system, quote-unquote, to condemn them falsely. Both of them created a kangaroo court by which they condemned them, which was both wrong. Both of them prayed repeatedly. Remember, Daniel prayed three times a day facing Jerusalem. And remember what Jesus did on the day that he was crucified, or the day before? He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane three times. Both were sentenced by people who had serious misgivings about their guilt. Remember Pilate? 
Pilate's wife says, Pilate, my husband, dear one, don't mess with this man because he is innocent. Pilate knew he was innocent, but he caved. And the same thing with King Darius. He knew that Daniel was a good man, but he caved to political pressure. And both of them were designed to be killed. Interestingly, Daniel was sentenced to a lion's den. But have you ever read one of the major Psalms of David, Psalm 22, when it speaks in prophecy about Jesus' death? Here's what it says. Then Jesus, the prophet David, prophesied that the Messiah's death would be like roaring lions tearing their prey. Both of them experienced lions. The tombs of both, the tomb of Daniel and the tomb of Jesus, had what? A stone sealed over it, and both of them had a signet ring sealing the, the stone. Both of them? In their entombment involved angels, and both of them. Both of them found that they were delivered at the first light of dawn. Both of them experienced miraculous resurrections. Both of them had the miracle that they, that they, that they did, the, the rescue from the lion's den and the defeat of death proclaimed to the whole world, and both exalted by God. Oh, Daniel is a type of Jesus, an incredibly godly man. And then the God-man, Jesus himself. So, understand up front that godliness and goodness will likely arouse evil. Expect it. Remember that though evil may triumph temporarily, it has a short left shelf life. Trust God. Thirdly, keep your conduct pure, your character unblemished, and your competency high so that when the office mud is thrown in your direction, it doesn't stick, but it will be thrown. Keep your knees bent so that when your resources are exhausted, God's resources can kick in. Keep your integrity intact so that when false accusations are leveled against you, good-hearted people will be distressed. Good-hearted people, not even Christians, will see, hey, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. And they will be distressed like King Darius was. Keep your mouth bridled so that what you say cannot be twisted and you don't say things that you shouldn't say. Keep your hands bound. Don't take revenge so that God can do his work. And he will. And keep your heart clean so that God can do his good work through us, thereby declaring his glory. Why? Because God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we might become God's righteousness. That's what God had in mind. And so Daniel saved a nation, saved his people, and he preserved for us one of the greatest stories ever told, a true story from history. And Jesus did that times a trillion for our salvation. Let's give thanks. Heavenly Father, we are the recipients of amazing grace. When we look at our own lives, we kind of feel horribly humble because we're nothing like Daniel many times, much less Jesus. He's so much greater than we are. But we pray, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit would make us people who would dare to be a Daniel in a real world in which um, opposition to Jesus is increasing. May we learn from him 
and from your Holy Spirit and your word, not to be unsettled by what happens, but instead to be steeled in our souls and in our faith and our courage and our commitment to Jesus because you're good and your kingdom is eternal and we want to spend eternity with you. And every person that we come in contact, Heavenly Father, you love them too. Even these people who persecute us, may we be exemplars of the grace and truth of Jesus as we pray in his name. Amen. Well, please stand with me. And by the way, um, next week, Lord willing, the, the historical part of Daniel is all done. And now the last six chapters are all the prophecies of Daniel. Daniel is the most important book in the Bible, next to Revelation, perhaps, of what's going to happen in the future. So next week, we start to look into the future. I'm not a prophet, but Daniel was. We're going to see what he says. May God now bless you, keep you. May his face shine upon you, and may he give you peace. God bless you.